Hello and welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast. It is an aviation podcast that is centered around the idea of flying and aviating, as the name might, you know, be inclined to <laughs> suggest to you in this midlife stage of life. And uh, my name is Chris Moran. I'm the Midlife Pilot on YouTube, uh, and this is my co-host Brian Siskin, deep uh, in the heart of Music Row in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, this is episode 37, and we're happy that you're here with us uh, for this episode. Good evening, young man. I wish that the audio podcast people could see what we're seeing right now, because I feel like you're on the verge of uh, crooning, you know? I, uh, uh, yeah, for those listening, I have, um, I have neglected to bring a mic stand to the uh, remote hangar recording facility, <laughs> and therefore I am holding my microphone, uh, Bob Barker style. You can't see my other hand. I've got the cord in my left hand. And I'm just ready to invite all of you to come on down uh, and spin the big prize wheel. So, yeah, it's going to be a long night. My right hand is going to be very tired by the time this podcast is over. One of the one of the one of the brightest and saddest moments of my life was in 1999 when I went to L.A. Um, to do some music things. And uh, the tour manager of this group that I was with uh, had heard me saying, all I've ever wanted to do is be on the prize is right. I I hear a knock on my hotel the next morning after this show we played. It's super early. I look through the peephole and I see tickets in somebody's hand. I open the door. The tour manager's there with tickets to go see the prices. Right, we were right there in uh, Studio City. Wow! And so we, me and a buddy of mine, went over there, and then you go through all the little checks and they interview you and all this. And everybody around us in our little part of the line, they were all like, you know, they're definitely going to choose you, you know. And I was just like, this is destiny. I've been dreaming of this my whole life. <laughs> And, uh, and I got in there and everything, uh, but I did not get called. Um, and I just felt like I was so close, but so far away. Yeah. Um, so thanks for reminding me of all that. But Bob yeah. Barker was really cool. He, he told a lot of cool Navy stories. And there's a great, there's a great Price is Right documentary out there somewhere that I've watched recently. It's actually about the guy who kind of, he, he gamed it game the system learned all of the prices like got on multiple times like he was a, just a just a savant of the pricing games um it's really great i watched the whole thing my wife thinks i'm nuts my youtube <laughs> rabbit hole of like content she's like i don't know what what do you watch these things i said Man, it's, i'm well-rounded i'm like learning all the things and it's pop culture it's great though i forget what it's called but it's fantastic Oh man! Well, welcome everybody in the chat. It's so cool to see all these uh, familiar faces and some new faces. Um, and so, meanwhile, we've got two guests tonight. This is the first time I think we've done two at the same time here. Uh, but this is a worthy, worthy, worthy cause. Um, so we can get into long introductions, but I like people just to kind of talk <laughs> themselves. We've got them hiding in the back. Here they are. We've got Stephanie and Jared from the Freedom Aviation Network. Hey guys. Hi. Thanks for having us on your show, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here. Thanks for being here, Jared. Hope we can win some big money tonight. Take, take a look behind uh, door number three. Uh-huh. Hey, you uh, know what? Plinko is my game. I'm just saying. I've also oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The, thing that, the thing that tripped me out the most about being at the Price is Right is just trying to scale all the illusions that you had of what it looked like and what it would be like to be there. Versus the reality of it, which was, you know, one of the things I remember was, you know, it was like a trip to Switzerland and they have just sort of this kind of montage image, a painting of Switzerland. And it's this thing with the skis and the mountain and whatever. I always thought that those things were this huge, you know, sort of wall 
display. There's just a guy on the side of the stage with an easel, and these things are like you know 12 by 18, and they got a camera trained on it, super tight. <laughs> you know, there's all these little details about how they presented it that kind of demystified a lot of it, but it was cool. I always heard the whole theater was smaller than you. I mean, it's than you could ever imagine the way it looks on TV. Yeah, which only increases your feeling of the likelihood that you're going to get picked. Right. Um, it's exciting. Um, but anyway, we're uh, <laughs> Chris, we should just go ahead and find – we need to source that microphone, like the Bob Barker microphone. Oh, yes. And this is going to be your thing from now on because obviously this is what we're here to talk about. No, we're here to talk about the Freedom Aviation <laughs> Network. So, you know, listen, like I said, everybody in this podcast group here, everybody that's in our community, everybody that's in the chat – Pretty much everybody, I think, has already heard of you. Some of uh, these folks have already registered. Some of these folks have definitely donated. Um, and so it's been really cool to see um, just anything you know we can do to help uh, beyond just the, the potential piloting or whatever. And we'll get into this, but I think that that's one of the messages you guys have been really driving home about this organization. And not only is the need important, but there's so many ways to get involved. So before we get into all that, Maybe one of you guys, you pick one, raise a hand to flip a coin, um, can tell us just, you know, for those who are not familiar with the Freedom Aviation Network and why we're so excited about it and why we keep talking about it, uh, maybe uh, give us the Freedom Aviation uh, Network 101. All right. Stephanie texted me a minute ago and said, you go first. So <laughs> I, I, got the, I got the coin toss there. Um, so yeah, my name is Jared Miller. I'm the executive director and co-founder of Freedom Aviation Network. Uh, so our mission is to provide safe and uh, efficient and rapid air transportation for survivors of human trafficking and their advocates. Um, and so our goal is to recruit pilots across the country to fly uh, fly survivors of human trafficking and their advocates at a moment's notice often um, to, to different things like coming out of their situation, uh, going to a court appointment, uh, going to see their family for the first time in years. Uh, so there's lots of different reasons why we fly. Um, but the reason why we exist is because access to safe transportation is a major barrier for survivors of human trafficking. Uh, there's, there's some data coming out in the last three years that really proved that. My background is anti-trafficking, and one thing that I've seen around the world um, is the access to, to safe, efficient, and rapid air transportation, or the transportation period, mm -hmm. is really lacking in the anti-trafficking world. Um, and so we are aiming to break that barrier. Uh, the, the human trafficking hotline says that uh, they have reports that say that 54% of survivors of human trafficking said that transportation was a barrier to leaving their situation. Um, and so we want to break that barrier and we want to eliminate that problem altogether. Eventually, we would like to do that globally, but we got to start one, one day at a time, one state at a time. So that's who we are in a nutshell. And Stephanie, I know that it's probably, you know, just the thousandth time you've explained it, but I would love for everybody to understand how you guys came together because, I mean, you're, you're an instructor, you're, you were an instructor and a, and a pilot, and that's how I kind of got to know you through my uh, flight school. Um, and then all of a sudden to see, um, you know, to learn more about you and some of your background and how it's so logical that you guys came together, um, it'd be great for people to, to understand that. So how did you guys uh, get, get connected up? Well, Jared and I have known each other a long time. Um, Jared was my son's swim coach <laughs> when he was 10, so uh, that was a while ago. 
And I followed him on Facebook because he was, at that time, he was graduated and wanted to see where he was going. I think at that time he was joining the Peace Corps. So just kind of keeping up with him and what he was doing. And then years later, I see that he's flying an airplane. At that time, I was flight instructing. So I'm like, well, what are you doing? You know, we need to get together and talk about this. And as we did, uh, we found out why he was learning to fly was to try and solve this problem of transportation and the anti-human trafficking uh, work that he was doing. And for me, I'm like, well, that's great. You know, I'd like to support him. I wasn't sure at the time how. And then I worked with another organization and we had a girl that went missing. And so I knew Jared was working in this. So I just gave him a call. And through that, uh, they helped work to get this girl out of her situation and were right there. They answered the call. And I must say that they were about the only ones because uh, the hotline, they weren't going to step in. Nobody was really helping. And so through that, uh, we met up later and I, I kind of got more involved with what he was doing and just like, well, maybe we could start like a volunteer pilot organization. At that time, we weren't thinking of starting our own. We were having, uh, hoping that another organization that was already doing it would step up and just take this on. Well, we approached a couple and they just, that was not something that they wanted to take on, but they were more than willing to help us get started with it. So uh, we worked with uh, Rescue One Global, which is what he he was doing at that time, uh, was the shelter that he was working with. And me and Joe Creasy became the pilots for Rescue One Global. So it was just the two of us for the first two years and doing the flights that they needed to have done. But as we realized it needed to expand to other organizations and I was getting feedback from other pilots that they wanted to help in to do this, so we just end up just starting this and starting it ourselves. Um, and because Jared's so good at what he does, we got started really fast. <laughs> I think it took us a couple of weeks to get um, our nonprofit status. And we thought, I think in this first six months, we had kind of gauged that we would do about five flights. And instead we did 25. And to date, I think we've done 43 and we're working on a flight 44 right now, so. Wow. So, um, you guys, you know, I remember you saying that you got the nonprofit status in sort of a record amount of time, which I, I suppose, Jared, you can take credit for that ultimately, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever mafia you're connected to or nonprofit mafia. Um, no, but, um, and Stephanie, one of the things that you didn't say that I think is, um, something I've heard you talk about before is how in the sort of scrappy, uh, early times of this organization and trying to get uh, planes and, and people, uh, you as an instructor were able to go <laughs> and say, hey, student, I've got a, yeah. I've got a long cross, I've got, I've got a long cross country for you. Um, <laughs> you know, I had very good relationships with my students. One yeah. thing about being an older person coming into this and becoming a CFI was I wasn't after hours. I really never thought I would go to the airline. So this is just all I was doing. Um, and I just enjoyed spending time with my students and really getting them through their ratings and helping them with their flying. And so when they found out what I was doing, more or less, most of them offered to help in some way. And so when I had trips come up, I just say, hey, do you want to do this trip? And for some of these guys, I mean, they were renting Cirruses and we were going on five hour trips sometimes, you know, two and a half hours there and back. So this wasn't cheap. 
and they were more than willing to do these flights. And I had it just an outpouring. I mean, I had one guy I just called him and I'm like, look, I got to get this flight done. Can you help me get it done? He's like, what do you need? And I just told him what I needed and right, right that day. All right, you've got it. Here you go. And it was just, we, we've just had a lot of help and support in starting this. The pilot community has been so loving and embracing for all of this. I mean, we didn't do this on our own. I certainly didn't do it on, on my own. Even in the early days when we were doing this, I mean, it took a lot to get these flights done and we got them done. Every single, I, I must say that every single flight request that we have had, oddly enough, we have made it work. We've gotten it done. And that includes trips from Minnesota to LA, Orlando to Houston. Uh, I mean, and they, we don't have pilots in those areas and somehow we always get the flights done. So that's pretty incredible. How, how does it, um, I'm, I'm going to jump into nuts and bolts cause I'm, I'm very eager to hear some about the processes. Obviously that's, it's a pretty, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes to make these, um, to make these missions work. I mean, you know, the, the needs that are out there and things that have to be done, but from the, from, from a pilot's perspective, like how does it work? What's the, what's kind of the, what's the sequence of events? So Jared starts us off, right? He gets the flight request, usually before I see it, because I'm not checking my email. <laughs> He'll triage the situation. He knows more about the shelters and what's involved and what the case is about. And he kind of works that together with, okay, this is the situation. This is where this person needs to go. And this is how soon they need to get there. Um, me from the pilot side, I've requested that they give us three dates. I don't like one date. I want three dates. So right at the front end, the agencies know that we work with that. You know what? This may not happen on the day that you want it to. Uh, you need to be flexible because aviation, especially in small aircraft, needs to be flexible. So and we've been very upfront with them, telling them we need to know their weights because, as you know, ladies don't like to give out their weights necessarily. So, you know, but letting them know that's important. So we get a flight request written up. And then we send it to the pilots and our, our network. So uh, if the pilot were happening in Nashville, then every Nashville pilot that we think could do the flight gets sent an email with all the details and maybe just a little sentence on what is going on. You know, this is a girl leaving her situation or, you know, we're trying to get her back together with her family or whatever the situation may be. And so you receive that. If you can do the date, then you can do the date and you, you would write us back and say, yeah, you know, I can do it that day. Um, and then we work on just handling all the communications between all the parties because we've got to get, you know, the advocate there with the survivor. We've got to get the pilot there. Which airport are we meeting at? What airport are we going to? A lot of the agencies don't know that there's a ton of little airports everywhere. So they tend to just give us a city. And so we kind of let the pilot pick the airport. You know, some guys want to go into the bigger airports and have more services. Some people like the smaller ones and cheaper fuel. It doesn't matter to us, but we got to coordinate with the pickup and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And so there's always an advocate. So as a pilot, you know, you're going out to meet this person, but you're not responsible for the survivor. That's the advocate's job. That's the agency's job. And so that's a little comfort there, but... You know, some of these girls really love to fly. <laughs> and it's just been really a nice experience for them to get to do something that's so out of their, maybe out of their comfort zone, but something maybe they never thought they'd be doing. Um, 
So that's kind of exciting for them. And it's just, uh, it's fun. I, and I, so, I, I was just going to say, I think, I think that's amazing that there's just, cause there's something transcendent and beautiful about aviation, just uh-huh. the experience of flight, you know? And so I find it kind of amazing that someone could get taken out of uh, a dire, awful situation yeah. and then within minutes be having this point of view and this, you know, most people when they fly for the first time, they're amazed at how peaceful it is and how relaxing it is. Yeah. And they, they start talking about, wow, I can just go to sleep or whatever, you know, so. And there's um, nothing like leaving a situation that's so traumatic. Yeah. And being away from it all. You're really escaping it because you're above it all. When you're up there, it's just, and if, if you're a pilot, you know, it's like you're above all your problems. Yeah. Everything is down there and you know what? It can't touch me up here. That's right. So really free. That tower. Yeah. <laughs> ATC. Um, one flight. I have to say this. So I think it was our first one because Joe did this one. And the girl, she kept asking me, well, when are we going to descend? I'm like, okay, well, you know, we've got like an hour to go. So it's going to be a little while. And then, you know, a few minutes later, kind of like a little kid, where, when are we going to get there? Well, when are we going to descend? I'm like, and I go through it all again. And then a few minutes later, when are we going to? And finally, I just asked her, why do you keep asking me that? And she's like, I really want to go through a cloud. Well, <laughs> we're almost to the end of the clouds. And I'm like, Joe, we got to make this happen. <laughs> so first he asked for a descent because we were above them. And so we did that first. You know, So we get down and, and there's one like off to the right. And we're like, uh, can we divert 10 <laughs> degrees for buildups? <laughs> So we go through the cloud. She just had a, she was having a good time. So that was fun. (laughs) Well, well, so real quick, I want to rapid fire here. A few things. Number one, um, Stephanie, Adam Valrath said, hi, Stephanie. I miss flying with you in the arrow and the Cessna 150. Um, So that's, that's awesome. And then uh, real quickly, I just want to capture these before they scroll away and we lose them. Uh, Biff Benson, who's uh, uh in our sort of uh, community and, and great supporter. Uh, he asked a great question. Where do you get your referrals from social workers, prosecutors? How's it work? I'll take that one. So yeah. we, uh, we, ex- we on purpose exclusively take referrals from case management agencies who are trained to take care of survivors of human trafficking. And so they get referrals from lots of different sources but we specifically get them from case management agencies. Case management agencies are the ones that fill out the flight request form. Um, We will get phone calls from survivors directly. And what we do is we say, if this is a, you know, emergency situation, call 911. You can call the human trafficking hotline uh, for case management services. And you can call the national trafficking shelter Alliance um, also for shelter and case management services. And the, the NTSA, the national trafficking shelter Alliance there who has a, a national network for shelters across the country. We actually, half of our organization is kind of based on their referral network and how they operate. Um, and, and so if we receive a, a request directly from a survivor, those are the three areas that we refer them to. Um, and then those institutions know that they can reach back out to us when it's time to request a flight. Um, but uh, on, you know, on the back end of this, the case management agencies primarily are the ones that are receiving referrals from different sources. They work a lot with law enforcement, uh, local law enforcement and national law enforcement throughout uh, the country as well. 
So they could receive referrals from law enforcement. They could receive referrals from the, the victim's family. And at that point, when they're in their situation, it's they're they're referred to as a victim, um, according to you know law enforcement and the way that kind of operates. And so they they could hear from the victim's family themselves. They could hear from the victim themselves off the street. Um, they could hear from other social workers, mental health institutions, hospitals are actually a a top refer. Um, because hospital ERs are, are mostly, a, you know, a safe space. And so a lot of people, domestic violence situations or human trafficking or whoever, um, will go to an ER to try to get to safety. Um, we've, we've, we've actually had calls from survivors from ERs. Um, in my experience, that's where a lot of, a lot of calls will, will come from. Um, so yeah, so we when we receive that call from the case management agency, we ensure that we have a, a memorandum of understanding on file with them. So we actually do have a, a document, an MOU that says that the case management agency is responsible for all the legalities of the case. They're responsible for ensuring that this person knows where they're going, they want to go there. Um, that they're allowed to cross state borders, even county border. You know, we don't know, we don't know personally what's going on in that person's situation, but the case management agency is legally responsible for that. Um, and so we do have documentation that we keep on file beforehand. So whenever we receive a flight request, we do double check to make sure that we have that MOU with that case management agency. And if not, we file that paperwork with them um, pretty easily. Uh, so, so yeah, that's how we, that's how we operate. Excellent. Um, another one here in the chat room uh, from another longtime supporter of uh, all things midlife. Um, one dog geek asks, do you have qualifications for pilots? So what does that look like? Uh, yeah, the pilots are required to have at least 250 hours. Uh, they also have to have a current medical. Uh, and beyond that, just um, they need to be current with everything. Um, but that burden lies on them. There's no way we can check for everybody's biennial flight reviews. Sure. Um, obviously, you know, to have that we take we during the intake process, we take in the license, the medical, the last couple pages of the logbook. We do have them sign an NDA. Um, and that's just because of the privacy of what we're trying to do. We don't want this information getting out of where we're taking people. Um, but other than that, that's all we're looking for. We did drop the instrument rating, Brian. <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay, now that, that sounds terrible, right? It's like for, <laughs> for people that are, back and forth a while. Don't worry about it, Brian. Don't now you can forget about that whole thing. That was really the only thing. So that's sweet. No, um, no, I mean, uh, you know, I would imagine that makes planning certainly easier. But I will say at the same time, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, these are kind of thoughts that I would have as a pilot, you know, um, or I can have these thoughts, I guess, because I am a pilot. But right. uh, <laughs> as like say, say it's an instrument uh, flight plan. Um, people that are perhaps not used to flying or never have even been in a small plane before. Do you feel that it might be, I mean, obviously it's always going to make things safer, the routing and just, you know, all of the things, but in terms of being an IMC, right, that could freak someone out or does it? I don't know. Uh, I think it depends on the person you're taking. I've only had one a passenger so far that was nervous about flying and I had to explain a lot and it was not an IFR day. And there's another one where we, we took off at night and went through a nice thick layer of clouds. Um, and that was, you know, 
that seemed like it would have been scarier and she wasn't bothered by it at all. So I think it just depends on the person. I try to explain a little bit about flying before they get in. You know, this is kind of like a boat. Uh, then they'll expect the rocking motion, um, things like that. But, you know, I haven't I had guess we're talking problem. about people that have been through some things. So, you know, yeah, I can deal with some clouds. Yeah, some of them, you know, we've had a girl that just fell asleep. I mean... You know, they're not paying much attention. I think they put a lot of faith in us as the pilots, you know. You know, that's also one of the reasons why we're having the advocate on board, too, to kind of provide that emotional support, uh, you know, on the on the flight. They're trained to de-escalate emotional challenges or, or just escalated you know, behavior or whatever it may be. And, and so those triggering things like a bump or a loud noise may be triggering for whatever reason. And, and so the advocate is there for that reason. The advocate should be kind of briefing them even before they get to the aircraft. Um, and f in fact, the advocate should be briefing them really when, when the advocate asks, are you, are you okay to go on, a, on this flight? I mean, the advocates are asking them, do you want to do this beforehand? You know, this isn't their only, the, the advocates are trying to give survivors choices. Um, and so, so th those are a few things that we're doing. We also, we do wanna build up our processes and, and having more information available, like even photos or whatever of, of the different aircraft that you know, might be used to give them some, some heads up. Uh, but then uh, yeah. we, we, do have a, we do have a care package or we call, we call it a go bag program. And this is something that we do want to expand nationally. And we're, we're getting to that point where we probably need some hubs around the country to, to be able to facilitate this. But right now in Middle Tennessee, we have a group of volunteers who are uh, donating uh, items to a go bag. And that includes comfort toys and fidget toys, uh, comfort blankets, uh, books, coloring books, things like that. We're trying to keep this under five pounds. <laughs> we are we're putting little water bottles in there and little snacks. Uh, we're trying to Here's some balsa wood and some styrofoam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and and so we're trying to do some things to help them uh, keep their mind off of it. As yeah. well. um, yeah. We're putting a bark bag in there. We're putting sunglasses in there, you know, because because one thing that they don't have that they're not expecting to need is sunglasses. And then when you get up there in the cloud or above the clouds and it's really bright, that can be also very triggering. So that's great. Yeah. Follow up. Does basic med count as current medical? Yes, it does. Okay, excellent. Uh, oh yeah, and one dog geek also asked, "Do you have training for pilots? Not in the mean, not in the way of flight training, but just, um, I, I suppose, some sort of orientation uh, to the, the process." And I would imagine, you know, there's things that there's a special way to brief. There's a special way to uh, treat the flight itself. You might have, as a person, habits or words that you say or expressions that you have or I don't know, something maybe about your demeanor that you need to try to think about. I don't know. There could be any number of things. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful question, and I'm so glad you asked it. So one one part of our training program that we're, our, we're, we're really close to uh, is we just received an official MOU uh, partnership agreement from the Department of Homeland Security uh, to be able to access and utilize and provide all of the trainings that they have for aviation professionals um, in how to interact with with people who might be victims of human trafficking, are victims, and are survivors. Wow. Um, so that actually just came in this week. Uh, we were on. We've been in talks with them for a few months. They've been vetting us. 
Um, and and so that's something that we're going to have access to very soon. That's going to be available to all of our pilot volunteers. That is great. Gosh, yeah. that's great. Now, by the way, like I would love to make a, a sort of old VHS style uh, training video, like, you know, like you would see at Wendy's, you know, yeah. in 1983, right. you know, <laughs> just be like, so you've decided to be a pilot for the Freedom <laughs> Aviation Network. Well, you've just entered a whole new world. Uh, <laughs> big graphic that's like this big. I love it. I love it. You can use well, this one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So by the way, people got the graphic. Uh, so you know, people should know. Also, we'll we'll go come back to this again. But freedomaviationnetwork.org is the website, and that's where you can buy uh, merch and donate and sign up and all of those all of those things. Um, so now, for instance, uh, how what is the criteria when you get in a when you have a a mission? Um, how do you prioritize who you're seeking out? Uh, from what I understand, you will get like a batch of people that you'll sort of target. How, tell me how that works from your, we kind of talked a little bit about this, but not quite specifically about that aspect of it. Yeah. So it's a little different. People have flown for like angel flight or some of the others. You can go on their website and pick, um, pick a flight to do. And some of them are even a month out. Ours, just because we're trying to keep it more secure, we can't use their systems. They're not secure enough. So we send out the email to pilots that we think could help with that flight. And what happens, we'll get a few responses back. Uh, how we pick who can do the flight is more or less, um, if you're doing the, their preferred day, we might say, okay, we've got one pilot who can do the preferred day. Um, and then at least we know what pilot's could be available because sometimes that preferred day, well, now the weather's not good on that day, but the other pilot can't do the following day. So we might go back to the other pilot and say, look, they couldn't make it that day. Are you still available for this day? So we just kind of work it out with the pilots that respond and and uh, see who can take the flight. So Okay. And then one other quick follow-up question. I have, I have a lot of questions. I don't know why I've talked to you guys That's a million good. times. I still have all these questions. All right. Um, so if you wanted to, but I can see wanting to buddy up with another pilot, right? Like sort of wanting to distribute CRM, kind of manage the responsibility of the whole mission uh, across a couple of pilots. Is that something that is coordinated with you or are you strictly focused on getting a single pilot? We don't coordinate that, but they certainly can. So obviously when we started a lot of these, it was always two pilots because I was on board with a student uh, most of the time. But if you want it, to do the flight and you want your friend to go with you who's also a pilot that's on you as long as you can carry the weight and it doesn't interfere with that and you've done your weight and balance and everything checks then take whoever you want along we're not keeping that from happening although we do have you sign the nda we do ask that there are no pictures posted so especially nothing with the tail number or the survivor so but as long as you know that and you let your crew know that then it should be okay we would we would also have the we would also have the crew sign the NDA for sure too, um, just to have everyone on board. Like we have, we have a lot of pilots whose spouses wants to want to go with them, and that's great. I love that. We have them sign up as a volunteer, um, and and so that we can have their information, and then and then have the them sign the NDA. Cool. We've got a couple other really really good questions that are. Uh coming through here let's just go through these brian are you okay with that just run down this list absolutely uh Lisa miller asks um do you leverage aopa's public benefit flying training at all we haven't as of yet no 
We haven't we haven't sent it out to our pilots to have them do it. What we do on our um, next steps email though is refer them to the Air Care Alliance, which houses the AOPA trainings as well. So the Air Care Alliance is the um, the uh, not really governing body. They're the guiding they're the guiding body for public benefit flying organizations, volunteer pilot organizations, and they they work with the FAA to interpret the rules and ensure that uh, public benefit flying organizations are compliant. We've been working with them since before we started to ensure that all of our T's are crossed and I's are, I's are dotted. And, and so one thing that we do on our next steps is say, hey, there's training videos available, there's more education for what is public benefit flying available on their website. We haven't mandated it at this point and we don't have like a learning management system that we we point people to so we do but we do ask i mean you know it's available to you awesome yeah. uh josh mcohatton uh cirrus pilot extraordinaire says um when i've brought freedom aviation network up to others someone brought up laws against knowingly transporting undocumented individuals is this a concern for volunteer pilots it's a wonderful question. It's not a concern because the case management agency is responsible for ensuring the legalities of this person can trans uh, be transported or not. And there, there are times in my experience when uh, the the case merited and and required uh, transporting someone out of out of a state and DHS or, um, uh, well, ICE and Homeland Security and FBI were were included in those conversations, or the U.S. Attorney General. But again, that's not on us to get in the weeds of. That's on the case management agency to ensure that, and they are signing off that they are ensuring that that everything is done according to code. And and so far, actually, we have not transported um, an undocumented foreign national. We have transported many. Uh, U.S. citizens who have either had their documentation stolen at some point by their pimp or their trafficker, or they got into the, the, the trafficking at such a young age that they didn't have real identification. Um, so we have we have done a lot of that. Um, anytime that we you know we can help, uh, we will. Um, one of the reasons why we exist is is to help people find transportation services that don't require um them to go through you know with a passport or an id mm -hmm. uh and because because uh, uh, probably about 50 percent of survivors have had it taken away from them at some point it's used as leverage whenever when a pimp can have any sort of leverage over you they'll they'll do whatever it, it takes and one thing is is often when you're working for someone uh they will they will take your identification um and and hold on to it indefinitely and the uh, and for the audio audience, when you said working for someone, that was an air quotes. That wasn't it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. an air quote. We've got so many questions. Let's 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 run through them, Chris. Yep. Uh, Biff Benson again asks, um, where does the funding come from? Like your within your own organizations, the advocate ent entity uh, providing funding. You have grants, pilots themselves. How does the, how does the funding, uh, I guess, overall for your organization work? You want me to take that one? Or do you I, want? I was going to say, what funding? <laughs> <laughs> you know, to me. <laughs> I, I got to say, and uh, I got to say, we have experienced miracle after miracle with this organization from the very beginning, in, including the 501c3 status being approved by the IRS in exactly two weeks, which is the full 501c3 status. There's a short one that you can apply for. We applied for the full one. <laughs> and and that that's a miracle in itself. Um, since the beginning, I, I think we're... 
as of now, you know, our treasurer is getting ready for our Q2 board meeting right now, but we're since September, we have probably spent about seven to $8,000 out of our own pocket as Freedom Aviation Network, which is massive. So we, we've conducted 39 flights, transported 43 survivors, onboarded 80 pilots in about 30 states. And we've done that on about $8,000 of our own operational dollars, um, which is, again, a huge miracle. <laughs> uh, but it, it also is a testament to the, the team that we have with Freedom Aviation Network, our board, and Stephanie and myself, we're all very thrifty. We're all good stewards of what is, is given to us. Um, in that, according to public benefit flying, you know, a pilot of a, a volunteer pilot is responsible for 100% of the, or the pro rata share of the cost of the, of the flight. And so whenever we do utilize a private pilot, uh, that is that cost is being taken care of by the private pilot. However, uh, we've purchased 17 airline tickets since the beginning as well, because some cases have, have merited that. Some cases also are are so mild, so to speak, that it's okay. For instance, we've had people, we've had a survivor who graduated the, the recovery program. She'd been in it for a couple of years. She was stabilized. She was just ready to go home. She said, you know what, just put me on a ticket, you know, put me on an airplane and I'll, and I'll get there. Like we, we have those cases too. Um, and we purchased those. So that's a big expense. That's very costly. It's about a thousand dollars on average for last, last minute tickets, which we have had to purchase because there have been times when we've transported people from Florida to Texas or whoever else with a day's notice and we didn't have any pilots who could do that. So what we do is we pay for the, the ticket for the advocate and the survivor because we do not want the survivor to get into a situation where they are vulnerable for re-exploitation, where they're vulnerable to decide to run, a, you know, run away. If you're, if you're in a busy airport, you start getting nervous, you're, you're out of there. Um, we want to make sure that the advocate is there with them to support them every step of the way. So we buy their ticket as well. We've also had one situation where a charter flight ended up being the answer. We've had two situations where that could have been the answer had that situation gone through. But we had one situation where we ended up negotiating a charter flight. We, we negotiated it for $17,000 one way. Thankfully, the case management agency actually had that in their budget to be able, in the, in the grant budget to be able to pay for that, which is a, a miracle in itself. But they wouldn't have known how to negotiate that. So we did that for them. So, so we need funding for the non-private pilot flights. We need funding for the airline tickets and for the occasional charter flight until we get to a point where charter companies are interested in donating empty leg flights to us. And that could be a tax write-off for charter companies to be able to do that. Um, or and and airlines, you know, start giving us flight vouchers as well, and that just takes time and relationship building. Um, but that's our big expense. You know, we also want to hire people to be able to run this, to be able to uh, make make this organization go from where it is to where it could be. We need staff to be able to do that. So we are ramping up our fundraising right now. Well, and FlySport has a question here that dovetails nicely into what you just said there, uh, Jared. Uh, he said, where will fan be in a year? What's the plan dream for growing the network? You know, it's, it's been evolving so fast, a lot faster than what we thought, which is great. We did not anticipate to be in, have pilots in 30 states in the first 10 months. It's amazing. Um, our, our projection was that by the end of year two, which would be 
by September of 2024, our goal was to have two full-time staff members um, operating the organization. It was to be uh, having have pilots in all 50 states. Whether or not we could count that as a service area in all 50 states, we wanted we wanted a pilot present in all in all 50 states. We wanted to be planning by the beginning of year two or by the beginning of year three. We wanted to be planning on future international expansion to Canada and Mexico, which is something that we're already being asked to do. And we have people in Canada um, in the aviation world starting to work on that. So we're even, we're ahead of schedule is really what I'm saying. And so that question right now is kind of funny because it was only a year ago, less than, it was less than a year ago. It was, it was, it was 10 months ago that I was planning out our five-year goal. But but what it will take is real funding to be able to get us there. I mean, I hate I hate money, <laughs> I really do, and I hate that that's the answer. But what it will take is is real money to be able to get us from where it is to where, it is, to where we should go. Because Stephanie and I work full time. We do this because we love to. We're not in this for the money, and and we want to be able to hire people though who can who can run this. And ideally, we also want to be able to hire. Um, people with real anti-trafficking experience. We want to be able to have uh, survivors on our on our payroll. We want this to be survivor-led. So that's that's some of the things that we're looking for is is even getting sponsorship for survivors to have an employment wow. with us. So that's that they, that's amazing. Them. Yeah, that is amazing. You know, and I know you guys have done some lowly media outlets. You know, the AOPA and and whatever. But <laughs> uh, but, but now you're getting the midlife pilot bump. So this is. This is going to be huge. Uh, you know, just prepare for your lives to change. You know, um, it's going to be strange when people recognize you on the street from an audio podcast. No, but no, but you know, one of the when I, you, so you guys had a great event recently um, that was very well put together. Uh, it was huge and a lot of the presentations and and the speaking were, were, was very moving. Uh, I'm pretty sure every speaker cried at some point. Um, and so that's how you know it's a good show, right? Like, this is, a, this is good stuff. No, but it was just, it was amazing. It was really special to be there. Um, you know, and you could really see the, you know, the, the local or middle Tennessee community really rallying and trying to sort of, uh, extrapolate this messaging outward and get it to, to other people. And that's what, I think this can be helpful towards on some level because this is, you know, folks from all over, you know, but one of the things that uh, the pilot that we featured in the video um, uh, that is on your website, freedomaviation.org, freedomaviationnetwork.org. Um, one of the pilots that I spoke to with you guys, uh, he had this thing that he said that has just stuck with me um, and hasn't left, you know, and he was talking about how, Every time that you fly, you are flying over people that are in this situation everywhere that you are, you know, like there's not, and it's just, it's something that became a, a sticking sort of point in my head about sort of every time I fl I'm on a cross country or I'm going somewhere and I'm flying over these little towns and whatever, you know, it is something that, that sticks in my head, you know, and it, it really is something that's. Uh, there are these constellations of small airports. There are uh, a network of pilots that are building. I think that you're going to probably get to some critical mass or some sort of point where all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're going to have enough points in all these areas to where things are going to start to kind of 
even further take off. I think you guys have started something really special and it's not hard to, to get behind. And one of the things that I had um, talked about with you guys beforehand was, you know, I, I really wanted to have you guys on because our audience, midlife pilots, we are people that are not ATP students. We're not, uh, you know, career pilots in most cases. Uh, we're people that are flying for the love of it. And I think that one of the things that gets to be, you know, once you've got a, a couple few hundred hours and some ratings and some things, and you've gotten a lot of that experience, you are thinking about what's next. And so I just hope that people that are listening uh, think, you know, this can be, you know, mission driven flying uh, goes beyond, uh, you know, very valid organizations in other arenas uh, that hire, that uh, move other types of people with different needs or animals uh, or whatever. Uh, all those things are great. But this is something that I think is more, um, I don't know, it has, it, this whole problem has its tentacles in the society in a way in a, in a way that we don't understand the the impact and what this really means. So that's a long rant and a long way around to say also, you know, how, how does how does a pilot know that they've helped and what have they helped and what is the impact that we're lessening? I think you know, and you know, you're taking someone out of their situation, and I think it really helps them when they don't have to be in that area to do their recovery. Uh, when you're leaving a situation like that, you, you're always looking over your shoulder. And it's easier to be farther away from that. And I think that is, that's huge because you're, you're hoping to recover one person at a time here. Um, I know when I started, it, the situation just seemed too big to me. Um, am I really making a dent in human trafficking? Am I really helping? Um, what am I really doing here? And then I'm just reminded of, of God as the shepherd over all the sheep, you know, and he's going to leave all 99 to go get the one. So our saying is for the one. I can't help them all, but I can help that one. I can get her where she needs to go. I can get her to her treatment. Um, even so much as we've taken someone to Alabama and she's doing great. And she's going to be, she's doing so well that she's going to be able to go to court against her trafficker. I mean, how helpful is that? And not only that, but we're going to fly her back to make sure she can get to those court appointments. You know, it just we're changing. We're making a difference and we're making a difference in their lives. And just to, I don't know, you see it when you're flying them because some of these girls come in and they, they seem so sad or upset or whatever. And, you know, you can see that the flight was just freeing for them and glad to get where they're trying to go and... You know, it's a whole process, you know, that like Jared talks about, the whole process is long. The healing is long. Um, they didn't get in this yesterday by the time we're flying them. So it's not going to be over tomorrow, but it's a piece of the process. And we're trying to make it better. We're trying to treat these women like the best in society. I know I've had a few of the girls walk onto these Cirruses and like, ooh, I didn't think it would be so nice. And, you know, it's like going from the lowest in society to the highest, like here's your private flight and you're serious, you know? <laughs> and so we try to treat them like they're the VIP that they are. So I don't this know. Plane, this plane has a parachute. <laughs> People are surprised by that. 
<laughs> um, one thing I wanted to mention too, this is actually kind of a trip is a uh, fly sport in here. He's saying that he was handed a freedom aviation network brochure at his hangar across Ooh. the United States uh, from where we are uh, on the day happened to be the day of the Smyrna event. Um, and this was in, I want to say what uh, fly sport, what state was that in? It was Arizona or New Mexico or Washington oh. or Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, we've got Carl Gashler is is working for us in Arizona. So in a few states right now, we have basically point people who stepped up and they signed up and they're talking to me and they're like, "How do we get this started in my area? I know it's in your area. I know you need more pilots." I'm like, "Well, the best thing you can do is recruit in your area. You know, if you get at least 5 to 10, we'll open up your area." And they took that as a challenge, and they're now like our point people in those states, and they're going after people in their state, and they're trying to get enough people so we can get it going there. Yeah, he said but, Oregon, actually, yeah. Oh, okay. So it's an art. No. <laughs> I to, so I have to tell you my favorite recruiting story so far. And, I, and if anyone is on this call, this is this is you. <laughs> Just, it's, it's okay. It's hilarious. So, so we, I, I got a, I was doing an onboarding call with a pilot recently who was telling me, I asked them, how did you hear about us? And they said they saw a flyer and I said, Oh wow. Where was your, where's the flyer? And he was like, it was, it was on the back of a, of a porter potty at the airport. <laughs> he said it was outside my hangar. I'd use a restroom and there it was on the back of the porter potty. And so I thought I'd give you guys a call. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> like, that's exactly what I want. <laughs> Perfect. No matter where you are, Freedom Aviation is there with you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a marketing opportunity that's just not I being know, seized, right? <laughs> it's, the, it's the new Times Square. It really <laughs> is. I mean, everyone's got to go there. And uh, you're, you're, what else are you going to do aside from look at the, the wall? <laughs> oh, man. Well, so uh, we got to get out of here pretty soon, but I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity to sort of you know, offer up any other bits of information or things we haven't tackled here, say anything you want to say that we haven't talked about. And then, uh, and then what is the call to action? So, you know, people that have heard all this and they're pumped uh, and, you know, they've been to the porta potty at their airport. Now they're ready to go. Uh, you know, what's the next thing? Well, I want to, I want to say real quick that, I, I wanted to remind everyone who's listening right now, all the pilots, that you have a very unique opportunity to be a part of someone's life in a very pivotal moment for a very short period of time. We're not asking you to to do anything, talk to them at all, or or anything that would have profound. You know, we're not asking you to be their their counselor for two hours at all. We're asking you to safely fly them. But you have a very unique impact on, on them during that time. They're going to look at you uh, as a leader and they're going to look to you, um, which means that they're going to be watching and they're going to be listening. Um, so one of, you know, one of your responsibilities as a pilot is to be careful about what you say, you know, careful about how you joke, careful about how you interact with them. If, if they are putting you, uh, their, their advocate in between you and them, it's not personal. It's because you might be the first safe man they've ever met or the first safe man they've met in a while. And I know that not all of the pilots are going to be men, the women too. You may be the first safe woman they've met in a while, to be honest. And it's uh, on the on the trafficking side, it's men and women who are doing the trafficking and it's men and women who are being trafficked. And we're we're not just taking women um, either um, uh, who are survivors. We, we've, we've transported 
um, young boys with their moms. We, um, I've worked with a lot of men who have been survivors over the years. And so we'll see all kinds of people um, come on our flight, but you as a pilot have a unique opportunity to be a very stable presence. Um, but don't be offended if they don't talk to you. You know, don't be offended if it's if they're not having interaction. That's that's okay. Don't don't push it either. Um, but just know that you're stepping into something where you're 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 involved in a very pivotal moment. Because no matter what they're flying for, it's a big deal. We've had a survivor who flew home to see her kids for the first time in about five years. And that is a massive moment for her. Her emotions are all over the place. Are, are they going to remember me? <laughs> are they going to like me? Like, how? what's that going to look like? When, they're le when she's coming back, she's sad because she just spent this beautiful time with her kids. We had another survivor who we got to take home to visit her family for the first time in, in a while. She was able to make amends with her father two weeks before he died. And so, so there's there's lots of different reasons why we fly. It's a very big deal. They're they're involved in in very traumatic situations most of the time, and and you're you're you have a really cool opportunity here to to participate. All right. Well, I'm ready to sign up. What do I do? Uh, it's easy enough. Just go to the website, and uh, there's applications for volunteers, subscribers, and for pilots. So if you want to do something else besides fly, that's certainly welcome, too. Um, we do need volunteers for a lot of things. Um, once you've signed up as a pilot, uh, you just go to freedomaviationnetwork.org. Uh, sign up as a pilot if you'd like. We usually send a uh, email right away. So you'll either be on a Zoom call with us and going over all that information or uh, a one-on-one -on -one call that you can sign up for and then just filling out the application. Uh, that's really all that's involved with the onboarding process. We still need a lot of pilots. If you want to help by recruiting other pilots, letting them know what's going on because we are so new. Uh, the word is getting out in the uh, anti-human trafficking world a little faster than it is the pilot world. <laughs> so yeah. we need the pilot signing up because um, as Jared and I are not advertising uh, what we're, the service we're offering and we're still getting the calls from around the country. So we really just need pilots signing up to be able to answer those calls when we get them. And, uh, you know, and any other volunteers, if there's anything you guys, we really need tech support, that's huge. So if anybody out there has a tech company, please call us <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's a big one well let me just tell you that in this community there are some very very tech savvy people that have done a lot of very accomplished things we've got a lot of people in the uh, security sector uh, and IT development um, all facets of that so I encourage all of you the uh, all you all you nerds <laughs> yeah. calling all nerds it takes a lot to run this and things need to be, you know, processes need to be put into place. And there's just not something out there right now that's secure enough that we can just get on it and use it. So as you can imagine, bringing pilots on, keeping up with their paperwork, getting the flights out, all of that planning, it just, we could use some tech support getting that taken I, care of. I have a feeling we've got you covered in spades. <laughs> and so we'll talk more about that. Um, I think that you're, there's a lot of people in this chat right now that I know would be immensely, immensely, immensely helpful. Uh, they're already starting to self-identify <laughs> yeah, self here. So. Right. <laughs> 
So everybody knows how to reach you, freedomaviationnetwork.org. I you know, can't thank you guys enough. Um, and uh, it's just a real pleasure. I'd love to also just kind of keep this conversation going. I don't want it to be just a welcome to the Freedom Aviation Network and then, you know, see you later. Uh, I'd love to check back in and have you guys on and, and, and reinvigorate the conversation and yeah. figure out what you've learned and how you've grown and, uh, and, and how uh, far your tech has gone since you were on the Midlife Pilot podcast. Uh, <laughs> Anything's um, an improvement, right? Yeah. So, Chris, uh, send us off, buddy. Yeah, no, thank you guys both for being here. The work you're doing is incredible, and I, I certainly hope that um, we can help spread the word, and we're definitely going to follow along uh, with the amazing progress that you're making and um, hopefully be a part of it uh, as, as we kind of see this grow. So uh, thanks to everybody who, uh, who hung out in the chat tonight. Um, we record every other Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Do all the things that you do, and the like and subscribe and the comments and uh, everything else, and um, we'll talk to everybody again in two weeks. Thank you, Brian, for potting with me tonight. Hey, man, it's always it's always a pleasure. And thank you again, Stephanie and Jared. And hang out with us. We'll be in a little chit chat after we uh, turn the, the live broadcast off. But thanks, everybody in the chat for all the great questions and all the great uh, energy. And uh, this has been, I think, massively successful as long as I stop talking. Yeah, where how are we going to end this thing? <laughs> Good night, everyone. Uh, <laughs> See you guys. Have your pets spayed or neutered. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Good night.